covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us as the Brewers have won their last two series. When we talked last week, a lot of talk about the offensive struggles there at the beginning of the season. But uh, in the course of the last week, they took two out of three from the Cubs, and then they took two out of three from St. Louis. So all things being considered, team is playing some pretty good baseball right now. Before we go any further, do want to let you know that, uh, as always, if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do so is on Twitter. Find me on on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and want to leave a uh, ranking and review, and if you don't subscribe, if you want to go subscribe, that helps us uh, move up and other people find the podcast, and that would be uh, that'd be awesome. We want as many people listening to this uh, as possible. Our featured guest this week is with uh, Journal Sentinel trending sports reporter J.R. Radcliffe. He's going to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments. As I get started, just want to hit on a on a few things. We'll start with the Orlando Arcia trade this past week. For a lot of Brewers fans, they were upset about it. Um, and I understand why, because Arcia is so much fun to watch. And when he is at his best, he, he's a really good player from an offensive standpoint and a defensive standpoint. Unfortunately, he has not been consistent with being his best. There's been a lot of ebbs and flows to his game. And I was thinking about this because my, my initial reaction when he got traded was, I don't know if sadness is the word, but it's uh, it's somewhere near there because of how much I really enjoyed watching him play. He's just, he was a joy to watch play baseball. And I think that's why a lot of people are upset about it. That being said... He wasn't somebody that you could rely on to keep that level of play at that really high level. And I think as I as I look back kind of on how I viewed him, and I'm not trying to do revisionist history or change anything, when, when there's a guy who's around and you know what his potential is, you know what his best is, then I think you continue to hold out hope that at some point in time he's going to be able to put that together and, and be that guy on a day-in, day-out basis. And when that guy exits, you can kind of stay, take a step back and look back at the career. And, and he'd been, he wasn't a super young guy anymore. He had, he had good big league time. And you can say, okay, it never came together for him where he was that guy. Now, he had a nice season last year, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the 162-game seasons, there's never a year where – he had just completely been really locked in. Every year there was some sort of challenge, whether it was uh, when he still had options remaining, sending him back to AAA, uh, whether it was bringing in other players to compete with him for a time, whether it was just sitting him down for a few days and giving somebody else uh, the opportunity to play uh, a few games in a row at shortstop. He was obviously challenged when they brought in Luis Urias last year. Uh, Urias never was healthy from the beginning. Maybe that's Maybe this trade would have happened last year had – uh, Urias been healthy once they once they got into summer camp. You never know. Uh, you you wish him the best. You hope for the best. But the the third base experiment, I didn't like that. I I've, I've said that on this podcast. I was never I was never going to like it if he was playing third base and Urias was at shortstop for two reasons. A, I think RC is the better defensive shortstop. Maybe not as consistent. Then, when I talk about those consistency issues, they existed from an offensive standpoint and from a defensive standpoint. But I always knew what Arcia could be at his best, 
at shortstop, and it was always going to bug me to see somebody else playing at shortstop when he was on the field. And then just from an offensive standpoint, uh, you were it was never going to be a good situation with both those guys in the lineup from a from a run scoring standpoint. So you wish him the best. I hope he does really well. I hope he does really well. Uh, he's an easy guy to root for, and yeah, that's um, and and that's where they're at now. You do wonder uh, the other. Big news this past week was Colton Wong going on the injured list. You do wonder had that trade not gone down, if they were still talking about it, and then the Wong injury happens, it would have been really easy to move uh, Luis Urias up to second, where he kind of, a lot of people have said to me that he's viewed as a better second baseman than shortstop. You put him at second, you put Orlando Arcia at shortstop, and that's how you handle the Colton Wong injury. But that being said, the Wong injury isn't supposed to be much longer than a week. Are you really not going to trade a guy or completely change plans just based off the fact that you're going to be without a guy for a week and a half? I mean, 10 days injured list, you know what I'm saying. But uh, he's that's how long he's going to be out for. You don't change everything you're going to do to have a stopgap for a week and a half. In terms of that stopgap, I think it's a really interesting question to be had. What do you do with Keston Hira? Do you put him back at second base because you could probably get a better offensive lineup with Hira at second based off the players that you can put over at first base as opposed to finding somebody to play at second where so far it's been a lot of Jace Peterson. We've also, uh, we, you, could see, uh, you could see Daniel Robertson in that, in that spot as well. So do you, do you value maybe a little bit of a better offensive lineup versus the continued development of Keston Hira at first base? And I think they're going to keep Hira at first base most of the time. You might see him at second base a little bit, but it's not just going to be okay for the next week and a half. You go put Keston Hira back at second, and then he'll go back to first when Colton Wong comes back. That's not what they're going to do. And it's a developmental process right now for Hira. He has not been especially good at first, especially on throws to second, uh, throws to second that are a little bit different, whether he's up or down the line. Uh, if there is a runner running from first to second, that seems to be uh, the bugaboo that's getting him. He had a ball the other day that went between his legs. Uh, that's that was. I'm not overly worried about that. He's a guy who's playing second base. He's gonna. Those 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 errors happen to everybody. You stack that up against the throwing errors, and it feels like he's just not playing a very good first base. I kind of separate the two between just errors happen. They're human beings, and the other side being uh, a situation where it's a guy who's not very experienced at uh, at first base. He has to hit. He has to hit. He had the nice Saturday performance with the home run and the two hits and hitting the ball hard. That's. The Brewers absolutely knew that they were going to take a half step back or maybe more with the defense at first base with Hira there, but that he would more than make up for it with his offense. He's got a hit, and he had a tough start to the season, and you just hope that that game on Saturday can really uh, propel him forward. Can't go much further without uh, certainly mentioning what's happening from a uh, pitching standpoint. My goodness, the starting pitching has been just ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when you consider the fact that uh, they did not give up an earned run from one Brett Anderson start to the next Brett Anderson start. Anderson was the uh, was the back-to-back pitcher giving up uh, earned runs, and Anderson pitched just fine on Sunday, but the point being uh, what those guys have done with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Adrian Hauser and Freddie Peralta, it has been... It has just been flat-out special. It has been fun to watch. It is not sustainable. I think that's one of the things that's the, that high. Now, being very good is sustainable. Being 
ridiculously good, probably not sustainable. Uh, Elias Sports saying it's the first time in franchise history that the Brewers have had five consecutive starts of five-plus innings, and those pitchers have combined to allow more, no more than one earned run. Uh, that is that's that's just that's rarefied air, and it's really special, and it's fun to see. And if that's the the hitting doesn't have to be incredible if you get pitching anywhere near that. And obviously, the Brewers went into this season with valuing run prevention. That's why they brought in Colton Wong. That's why they brought in Jackie Bradley Jr. They absolutely believe, and I believe too, that the offense is improved from last year to this year. But this is a team that is going to prevent runs. And we've seen that with the starting pitching. Relief pitching outside of a hiccup here and there has been pretty good. And then it was good to see the hitting come along. And there's a lot of guys here in the early going who have we've talked about bounce backs so much. That's been the that's been the word going into this year. So far, so good for Omar Nevaez. So far, so good for Travis Shaw. Avisael Garcia had two really big games against St. Louis on Saturday and Sunday. He hits two home runs, and he just, I mean, those those swings on those home runs were just beautiful swings. Um, Christian Yelich is swinging it well. He's not really getting the extra base hits in the power yet, but he's, he's certainly making solid contact, getting base hits. So a lot of reason to be happy with, uh, with what's going on with the team. And I would say most importantly, you need to win division series. Your, your divisional record is oh so important because you play so many games against the divisional opponents. And the National League Central is a division where you've got a lot of, outside of Pittsburgh, the four other teams are not that far from each other. And and being able to win divisional series, uh, the team that's probably got that best divisional record at the end of the year is going to be the team that's in really good shape. So the fact that the Brewers have won two consecutive series against divisional opponents, that's a, that's a really good thing for this team. All right, so that's kind of uh, where we're at looking back at the first week of the season. With that, let's go ahead and bring in our featured guest. He is the digital, excuse me, the trending sports reporter, the trending sports reporter for uh, JS Online. He is a uh, JR Radcliffe. If you want to find him on Twitter, and you should, he's a uh, fantastic follow on uh, Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at JR Radcliffe. J R R A D C L I F F E. JR, always appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt Polly. How are you doing? I am doing good. Uh, the Brewers are playing pretty good baseball, especially these last two days. The pitching has been good for all season, and now the hitting's coming along. So let's just start from a very general standpoint. First week and a half or so of the season, what are your general thoughts on this team? I, I think like a lot of people, I would have been really freaked out if this if the week had ended midweek, that the offense is just really continuing what was going on in 2020. But seeing the offense snap to life back-to-back games against St. Louis is really encouraging. And, and, you know, it's a small sample within a small sample. But, you know, you go back to 2020 and try to find three games straight where they scored 18 runs. And you're hard-pressed to do it. They had a couple crazy single games, a 19-run game, an 18-run game. And then, like, one instance in in the final stretch of the year where you could say over a course of three games they scored 18 runs. So to do it in two games is is an absolute you know, refreshing change of course from where they had been, certainly uh, certainly compared to last year, but also then to the beginning part of this season. The starting pitching, man, that's legendary right now. Like, that's it's, – it's, it's inconceivable to me that they could go through a whole turn through the rotation, have everybody go at least five innings, and allow only one earned run, that being – 
uh, on Sunday, Brett Anderson, a an RBI ground out from a relief pitcher, you know, in a game that was already seven to nothing, like a total throwaway run. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe got a little tense as the game went on because uh, St. Louis had some scoring chances. But the, if, if your starting pitching is good, you're good. You're going to win in this league. And that's especially true in the central where I, I, are there pitchers in the NL central that frighten you? I mean, maybe Luis Castillo, maybe Sonny Gray, maybe Jack Flaherty or Kyle Hendricks. But like no one has. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns in the NL Central. No one has that. And then you throw in pretty good performances from, I mean, very good performance from Freddie Peralta, pretty good from Adrian Hauser. Brett Anderson is sort of your savvy veteran. And uh, and you still have to have some faith in what they have in the bullpen. That's that's going to play, man. I mean, that's, that's the type of thing that doesn't go away. Over the course of 162 games, you know, they're not going to fall off a cliff. Their starting pitching is going to be good. So I'm really encouraged because this is exactly what they hoped it would be. Unsustainable, of course, to this level, but still pretty promising for where this pitching staff can be. If you would have asked me that question about other pitchers to be scared of around the division, I think I would have mentioned Jack Flaherty first. And then it would have taken me a moment to come up with Luis Castillo. But I think he deserves to, to be there. He's had a rough start, though. Like, yeah. two starts, he's been, he's been bad, man. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know if I'd put – I'm not – Sonny Gray doesn't scare me. Maybe maybe he should. Kyle Hendricks doesn't scare me. Maybe he should. So those, those would be the two guys that seem kind of scary. And I think Jack Flaherty can be in the same class as a, as a Woodruff and a Burns. Uh, I'm I, I, kind of going back to what you just said, uh, Castillo. I think there's been consistency issues with him at times, and maybe that's coming out right now, or maybe it's just first week and a half of the season, and, and you don't worry too much about it. But your, your point is really good that there's just not a lot of very good starting pitching in the NL Central. I think for me, this was a really big outing for me for Corbin Burns, in, in just in my perception of him, especially Corbin Burns. He – Obviously, 2020 was what it was. He was basically a Cy Young candidate. It's just really hard to know how to gauge 2020 for anybody. Offense, pitching, you know, is Devin Williams really that good? Is Corbin Burns really that good? Is the offense really that bad? I mean, there were a lot of extremes, outlier type performances. So you don't really know what to what to make of Corbin Burns. Well, then he has obviously the first start of the year where he takes a no hitter into the seventh. Like, OK, that's a heck of a way to kick it off to to continue your your success. And then he follows it up with a leadoff triple and then six no hit innings right off the bat there. Like, OK, now now we just have to take a look and say that this guy might actually be supremely special. You know, his his run of starts between the last two seasons is right on par legitimately on par with what CC Sabathia gave the Brewers in 2008 in, in what is, I think, probably considered the greatest stretch of pitching in Brewers history uh, outside of, you know, or maybe alongside the, the Teddy Higuera run there in 1987. I mean, this is that level. This is almost unprecedented, you know, consistent starting pitching from a guy that I think everybody was a little worried about after the 2019 season. So to see him replicate what he did in the first game, his first game of the season, again against St. Louis, you know, now I'm feeling like he's he's absolutely the real deal. I, I have sort of lost a lot of my like wait and see approach with him now. I feel like th- that he's very real. Always, always really did have faith that, that Woodruff was kind of at this level and, and still do think of him as a guy who could get Cy Young votes. I mean, I think he is at that level already, was last year, is this year. Uh, and having that top two. It settles everything down. I mean, you can afford a, a down outing or a mediocre outing from other guys in the rotation. If you know you've got back-to-back quality starts coming up at some point over the next five days, that's a huge boost to confidence. And it enables the offense to struggle a little bit. Uh, and now they've maybe found their footing. So uh, so this is, you know, it's, 
I, I don't know. I'm gushing over a team that's just, you know, one game over 500. I'm sure it could be better to this point, but it feels really promising. No, I, you're right. I agree with you. And uh, for me, you know, you mentioned that start from Corbin Burns being a big one. I, for me, I thought Adrian Hauser's last start was a big one, and they're going to continue to be big ones here for a while because I think, look, you mentioned it, the top two guys at the rotation, and then I think we sort of know what the Brewers have in Brett Anderson just being that steady guy. It's those other two spots that there's question marks, and last year was supposed to be the year where Hauser took that step that rookie, or not rookie, but young pitchers take where it clicks all of a sudden and they become consistent and they can take the ball every fifth day. And you kind of know that didn't happen for Hauser last year. So the question is, is it going to happen this year? And he's, he's two for two on pretty respectable starts. And if he can continue to do that, all of a sudden we don't have to worry about what a Freddie Peralta or a John, like who cares who's in that number five or number six spot. If Adrian Hauser can take that step forward and be a consistent guy all of a sudden, you look at the top four spots in the rotation, and it's hard to find many rotations in the National League period outside of the Dodgers that even stand up to it. Absolutely, yeah. This is one of the best starting pitching staffs in the National League. You don't have to qualify that. It is one of the best in the National League, and I think that's what the sort of the Pocota rankings, the preseason sort of ranking systems were trying to tell us about the Brewers when we saw the Brewers at the top of the, this division, that the pitching, yeah, the hitting is a huge question mark, but the pitching is really, really, really good. I think better than people even realize. Hauser for me is a little bit more wait and see. I mean, he did allow 10 base runners in five innings. And and so I think there's a little bit of luck involved in him. Uh, you know, it was uh, five plus innings because he did uh, work into the sixth. A little bit of luck involved uh, getting getting through that outing without giving up a run. And for me, the, the thing that's interesting about him is he's always it's always been about how he does against lefties. He has not fared well against left-handed batters. One of the reasons why it was at least at least a worry when when he converted from from more of a reliever type into a starting pitching role but he he's been fine against lefties this year he's been good in fact right he's been hitting him better uh, mm-hmm. which which is a little bit of a surprise and uh, numbers that probably will need to come down a little bit but obviously you know we're again we're talking about two starts it seems like you always have to throw out that caveat when you're talking about baseball 10 days in but um but yeah, that's the thing. If he can if he can continue to have success against lefties, the sky is kind of the limit for him. He is capable of this breakout. I I, I agree. Like 2020 is a little bit of a disappointment for him too. So uh, it would certainly be nice to see him continue to to make progress. And and then I mean, Freddie Peralta. Like I, I was surprised. I think like a lot of people that he got that fifth spot over Josh Lindblom, being the veteran Josh Lindblom is, and the guy who's on the three-year contract. I mean, I guess Peralta is too, but Freddie adding to his arsenal is such an interesting development, right? Like he's not, he's not even throwing his fastball the majority of the time. This is a guy who used to just throw nothing but his fastball. And now he's working breaking pitches in there that we just, we just haven't seen. I mean, I I don't think I'm ever going to forget the full count bases loaded breaking pitch he threw on opening day coming out of the bullpen that enabled him to get a strikeout to get out of the jam. I mean, throwing that, those pitches for strikes is just a total game changer for Freddie Peralta. And he's still going to be an adventure. He's still going to walk a bunch of dudes and, and go deep into counts. And, and you're always going to wonder what's going to happen, you know, inning to inning. But, uh, but there's, you got to be really excited with him too. And, and, you know, start to think of him as if that's rep, you know, if that he replicates that now they've got four truly special arms in this rotation, or, or at least three truly special and, and a fourth who can be to that level. That's, that's something, man. 
I, I had to laugh the other day when when Freddie was talking. They were asked, you know, you're not going to be called Fastball Freddie anymore. And he said, well, I like that nickname. So we have to still call him <laughs> that, right? Just because he likes the nickname? Yeah, we could do whatever whatever is he's comfortable with. I mean, he's he's just not throwing the fastball that much anymore. Yeah. A wild, wild development. And every that's always been sort of dogging him. Not dogging him, but like the concern with him is, you know, a diminutive guy who throws throws plenty hard, but not overpowering hard. He's only going to go with a fastball. I mean, sure, there was some early success and there's a lot of movement, but like that's not going to work long term. You're going to have to develop some some off speed pitches and why it seemed like it made sense that he'd be a reliever and not a starter. Well, then he adds to his arsenal. He, he's now much more qualified to be a starter. And I know that's something the Brewers have never given up on. They've always hoped that would be his sort of ultimate destiny. And here he is. Uh, one start does not a you know does not a season make does not a month make. But uh, uh, going to be very very intrigued to see how he replicates that in the encore against the Cubs starting this uh, you know starting this week Monday. You know one of the one of the kind of the narratives or interesting storylines about this team right now is just the adding of pitches and not that Devin Williams has added a pitch, but. He, he, He's got the changeup that kind of looks like a slider. I always feel bad for no, – I feel bad for a computer, but I feel bad for a computer that, <laughs> you know, when trying to identify pitches because that's what they – you know, everything is data entry when they're uh, – when it's being identified in real time and you have no clue what some of these pitches actually are. And then J.P. Fireisen goes out the other day and kind of throws one that sort of looks like it. And you, you've got uh, – You've got Freddie throwing the slider, which kind of looks like the Trevor Bauer slider. Like, there's all these, all these pitches that are unique, but are being added to the repertoire of various pitchers for the Brewers. It's like music, right? Like, you can't just say that's a rock band or a country band or a pop band. Everything sort of blurs the lines a little bit. Obviously, it's not as important what we call the pitches and more important how they're executed and, and how they look the same or different than the fastball or the changeup. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but yes, that's right. What uh, label, Labeling this stuff is, is definitely hard to do. You definitely can't draw conclusions if you're just watching the game cast. It's like, oh, that, that guy doesn't throw a slider, but that was yeah. just identified as a slider. Fine. We'll we'll assume it's something in that in that neighborhood at least. Yeah, the on um, Freddie's last start, they I don't think they I think they kept identifying the slider maybe as a changeup or something. I just because I looked I, I went and looked at the MLB Statcast numbers at the end of the game. I was like, nope, that's not right. That's not what he was throwing the whole time. The computers just don't know what he's throwing. Yeah, it's total. It's totally true. I mean, I, I don't know if the computers like if they kind of keep track of guys what they normally throw. So that might be part of it too. I, I don't know the software well enough, but obviously, if you're going to add pitches, that's going to throw some things off. That that might be what's going on there. I again, this is uh, the, they can like see spin rate and all that sort of stuff. So they've got more information to know um, what's being thrown. Like when I was a when I was a baseball play by play guy in the minor leagues, for me. Like there's some pitches that clearly you can tell what they are. You know, a 12 to six curveball is obviously a 12 to six curveball. But like you said, like there's there's some pitches you don't know. What what I did in the minor leagues was, I I found out from the pitching coach what each guy threw and what he threw it as, and I would look at the gun and I would see what what the speed was on the gun, and that's how I would identify pitches fairly often because I knew if it was coming in at that speed, then it was this pitch. Uh, I, I, I'm sure the, the computers are much, much more complex than that, but I would think that they have some sort of indication of, okay, this is this pitcher 
He can throw these different pitches, and these are the uh, the different things that these pitches would do if they're being thrown. But I don't and, really know. And congratulations to the Pitching Ninja Twitter account, which I really think has transcended just a, a sort of a – Something that just amuses people. Like, we're kind of in the pitching ninja era at this point. I mean, those gifts he shows, I I kind of, I think we all can appreciate humans or computers or whatever. Like, what do you, what name do you call that? You know, some of the, one of the pitches Corbin Burns threw that ended up on that, on that Twitter account. I I don't know what it was, but the movement was like unnatural. And most of that's, that's mostly what he's showing. Just incredibly unnatural movement that some of these pitchers have. And, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and the Brewers have been showing up on that account quite a bit lately. You know, Devin Williams was sort of the star of the pitching Ninja Twitter account last year. And, uh, they're, they're going to show up a lot more with what they've been throwing this season. There's a lot of attention, I feel like, on Brewers pitching from a national standpoint. I've always felt like before, and maybe this isn't as true now as it was before, but I always felt like when something special was going on in Milwaukee, it might take the national media uh, a couple extra beats to realize what was happening. Uh, there was a long segment on MLB Network the other day about Corbin Burns. Uh, Chris Hook did a media session on Sunday, and there was a question from a guy from Fangraphs. Like, it just feels like more so this year than previous years, and maybe I'm just being a prisoner of the moment, but it really feels like everybody in baseball is being told the story of what's going on with Brewers pitching. Yeah, I think it actually comes from the from the bullpen up. I mean, Josh Hader is is a well known commodity at this point. No secret there. He's he's as well known as it gets when it comes to relief pitchers. And and Devin Williams really had his moment last year, winning NL Rookie of the Year with this this airbender pitch. Everybody kind of knows him too. So you know, people look around, they see the Brewers' starters aren't allowing any runs. They already know what's in the bullpen. They're gonna they're gonna pay attention to what's out there. And Burns' story is is really fascinating. In, in sort of the the turnaround he he made and and really spotlights these quote unquote pitching lab that the Brewers have down in Arizona where they took a guy that just could not keep the ball in the ballpark in 2019 took took him to Arizona broke things down analytically mechanically the Brewers are not the only organization that has that but they are you know they they're obviously are using it to pretty impressive effect <laughs> you know by unleashing him and he, suddenly he's got longer hair and as is. is is just incredibly dominant. So something's something's going on. Uh, and then and then Woodruff, I think, has you know he's he's established himself. The homer against Kershaw in 2018 certainly helped his profile. And I I think he's he's fairly well known at this point. And I mean the biggest story is just that the Brewers developed these guys, right? I mean they drafted Woodruff and Burns, and and Adrian Hauser was in the minors for a time before before he came up, and Freddie Peralta was in the minors for a long time with Milwaukee before he came up. So for the first time in our lifetime, it feels like, Matt Pauly, the Brewers pitching staff is primarily dudes that the pitchers have developed. That's a really weird, rare moment in time. It used to be it was just Giovanni Gallardo or just Ben Sheets, maybe one or two other guys sprinkled in there, but there was never a consistent feeling that Brewers were going to get pitching from within and now it feels that's the case. And, and I mean, even their depth, you know, a guy like Brent Suter is probably going to get some starts this year. And he's a guy that's been in the, in the Brewers organization. So uh, and, and I think one of the great success stories, actually, of the Brewers organization when it comes to pitching development, that's that's not a guy who's a top prospect and, and absolutely became a, a important big league reliever. So. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a heck of a moment for the Brewers and their and their pitching development. And also to take that even one step further, you're, you're never going to be 100 percent homegrown. But when you look at the people who have come in from outside the organization, for the most part, they they aren't in the you – know, um, Brett Anderson is your number four starter. Um, yeah, there, there's no Jeff Supan, no Matt Garza being brought in to be right there at the top of the rotation. It's the, uh, the, the guys that 
that are in these primetime spotlight spots are the guys that they developed. Yeah, and that's important because the pitching – to get a high-end starting pitcher on the trade market is – that costs you a pretty penny. The Brewers don't have pretty pennies. You know, their minor, their minor league organization is still ranked near the bottom, and it, it's not going to climb its way to the top when an entire minor league season goes out the window like it did in 2020. They're stuck there for a little while, uh, obviously adding guys like Garrett Mitchell, drafting drafting what looks like a pretty promising uh, future player, and Garrett Mitchell is going to help, but – they, they don't have guys they can just trade to, to grab a high-end starting pitcher. I'm sure they're going to want to upgrade if they find themselves in the playoffs or, uh, you know, playoff conversation late late in the season. Not necessarily upgrade, but I'm sure they're going to want to add to whatever they already have. But uh, you, can't, you can't just get a high-end starter with what the Brewers have to offer. So this is the way it had to be, and now they can worry about other, you know, fringe tweaks to the roster on offense – if, if it comes to that, when, you know, when this gets going, I think they're going to be in the mix here. I think they're going to be an absolute player for this division title as we, uh, you know, as we hit the hit the real part of the season here coming up. Yeah, I think so, too. I absolutely think so, too. We've we've talked for like 20 minutes here. We've barely talked about hitting. It was a struggle for the first week and then it got going a little bit there at the end uh, of the Cardinal series. There are some guys, though, that are have been good pretty much from the start. And I think starting with Travis Shaw, not only Shaw hitting, he's playing a heck of a defensive third base. It feels like he's doing more defensively now than his first time around uh, with the Brewers. Maybe the ball is just finding him a little bit more for whatever reason. But there's always there's always guys that have a down year for whatever reason. And when they have a track record of being good players, more often than not, they're going to bounce back. Small sample size, but he, he bounced back a little bit last year with Toronto, and it really looks like a legit bounce back right now based off what he's done so far. Yeah, what a great story. Great guy. Every, you know, everyone gravitates toward this guy. He's, he's a great dude, and I think it really was you know, just baffling sort of what happened to him in 2019. He was one of a, f- a couple guys who just kind of fell off a cliff, you know, and Jesus Aguilar wasn't able to replicate what he did in 2018. We talked about Corbin Burns. There were, there were a couple other guys who just didn't have it in 2019 for whatever reason. And uh, it, it was great. I personally thought it was cool that he sort of recovered a little bit, you know, in the American League last year. And then for him to come back and come hit, start hitting right out of the gate. I mean, what a home run, a booming home run he hit on Sunday against the Cardinals to kind of put that game out of reach. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like you said, he handles third base really well, handled a screamer uh, in that game before leaving the game with a shin injury, which which at this point you got to hope isn't isn't a big deal because, He's he's in the lineup, you know, especially certainly against right handers and, and probably otherwise. I mean, that's the guy you need right now at third base. That was probably their biggest offensive question mark on the diamond coming into the year. Not not probably it was it was third base. Like, who knows exactly what's going to happen there? Uh, and very nice to see him performing. And, he, you know, you, the, the, the line has always been all the all the Brewers have to do is be an average offense. And they're going to be a huge upgrade from what they were in 2020 because that was just a sort of stars aligning for the worst offensive season where just everything went wrong at once. And I think you are already seeing that because guys like Omar Narvaez, are, he's hitting the ball, making contact after a just dismal 2020 season. You know, obviously, El Garcia did not start off hot at all. But now these back to back days in St. Louis, you know, a couple home runs matching his home run total from last year, plus a two run double looking just so much more comfortable, really smoking the ball around the park. So he's he's in a better spot. Christian Yelich is hitting the ball, not for power, not for extra base hits yet. Uh, Obviously, he left the game Sunday, so that's a concern. Not not quite sure what to make of that, but he is making contact. He's getting on base. He's doing doing the things he needs to do. 
you know, Keston Hira is probably the last piece of that puzzle. If if he can find it, then then you got to feel pretty good about where they are offensively. They've they have they have found it. All the pieces on the fringe are performing better uh, than they than they were in 2020, and that's that's sort of what what we needed to have happen for this team to be back to a you know competitive night in night out. It's we talked about this with Corbin Burns. Uh, we can talk about it with Omar Nervaez. We can talk about it. Maybe with Keston Hero, but he doesn't have the track record that the other guys have. There's always that tendency from fans to kind of just throw a guy away when they're in a where they have a down year, an extended down period. And it's really important not to do those things because we see it happen all the time where players do have the ability to bounce back. And this season was so built upon getting those bounce backs from a number of players. You're not going to get all of them, but it really feels like the team is getting at least most of them right now. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's true for Narvaez and Garcia, especially those guys. They hit the ball like they, they didn't just forget how they're not, you know, in their early 20s anymore, but they still ha- should have plenty left in the tank. And you and you are seeing that, uh, especially this this time of year, you know, early in the season, you, it's it's quick, quick, uh, quick conclusion season. And it's there's nothing we can do about it. You know, it's just human nature. It's it's pro- it's the wrong thing to do to react to that too strongly but like it's just human nature you only have so much data in front of you and it's easy to draw conclusions early here are the concern is that it, it does date back to 2020 that was a really really rough season for him uh in the twin series especially he wasn't able to hit hit balls that were right over the middle of the plate uh kind of that you know cross horizontally or vertically like in the middle of the plate he wasn't making contact uh he's he's n- still not you know, hitting those pitches, but he, he is making contact. He's putting them in play. He's showing some better contact in the last couple series. Again, we're talking about small samples inside small samples, but I do think we're probably going to, we're headed towards some progression with him. He's going to be better off. And he, the, you know, I, everyone knows this. They're not going to give up on him until they absolutely have to send him to the alternate side or, or just get somebody else in there. Uh, he's he's going to get as long a leash as possible because his ceiling is so high. So they're going to ride it out with him and, and they can afford to because other guys are hitting the ball. You know, you're getting you're getting decent production from the from the guys that you rely on. Maybe not the bench guys yet. You know, maybe not Vogelbach or. Uh, Daniel Robertson just yet couple hits for Billy McKinney, but like the, the guys on the, on the perimeter of the roster, maybe aren't hitting the ball yet, but you're still getting the production. Uh, you certainly got it in, in St. Louis over the last couple of days, not getting production from your shortstop spot, which is now just Luis Urias, uh, after the Orlando Arcia trade, a trade that I don't think was very popular for Brewers fans. They go all in on a guy, Jr. who, I don't know if you go all in on like what what has he done so far to to show that it's worth going all in on him. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, he's he's super young, so they're dreaming on him a little bit. And and yes, he hasn't put up big numbers yet with Milwaukee. I mean, he hasn't had a lot of chances, and he uh, was behind the eight ball starting the year last year because he he did get hurt in spring training and he you know it was a slow start for him. Um, I I I don't know. Like shortstop might be one of those positions that. You can find a guy if, if, you know, let's say the worst case scenario, Luis Urias just does not work out. You don't need the shortstop position to be an offensive juggernaut, you know, on the on the offensive spectrum. That's not crucial. It's helpful, but it's it's not crucial. So and with our Arcia, you know, a really fun loving player who I think was very popular in Milwaukee. He wasn't an offensive juggernaut, you know, no secret. He came up with some clutch hits, but he was there for for defense and he was good at defense. He wasn't he wasn't special, but he was he was good. 
Uh, so I think you could probably find that player if Urias doesn't work out. Um, and he's young enough, Urias is, where, you you, you know, you want to find out. You know, he might be he might be the type of player who can cross over into special, although it's, uh, you know, we're, it's going to take it's going to take a lot more opportunities, a lot more reps for that to for that to show itself one way or the other. It did seem like Arcia's time in Milwaukee was short when they made that trade last year. I think even at the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic, it was well, they're, they're going to trade Arcia now, right? What, when's that going to happen? And was a surprise when he was on the team. I don't think Arcia brings anything anymore to the table that they don't have from other players on this roster, except for one thing that you can't really gauge, and that's the degree to which he is this guy that everybody loves and gravitates yeah. toward and is a fun, fun personality, keeps people loose. That's been a hallmark for these good Brewers teams is that they're a very loose team, and that seems to have served them well. It seems to have worked in the in the clubhouse with the manager on, you know, everybody seems to be in on that. I think there's probably enough people here to continue that. But, you know, Eric Thames isn't here anymore. Orlando Arcia isn't here anymore. You've subtracted a couple of those yeah, so there's emotional cornerstones. So we'll we'll see how that how that impacts. That's not something you'll be able to measure right away, uh, and it's probably not the end of the world. But you know, it's a little disappointing for people who've really grown to like Orlando Arcia here. To me, and nobody will ever say this publicly inside of the organization. This is me saying this. I felt like they got sick of challenging him because his entire career, over and over again. They would have to challenge him, whether it was early on in his career when they were sending him down to AAA and then later in his career where Tyler Saladino all of a sudden is going to get an entire weekend at shortstop and RC is just going to be on the bench. And then it's acquiring players who can who can also play shortstop. Like it just it was there was always something going on that was challenging him because he always stepped up to the big moments. He was not fantastic when it came to just being the consistent be able to play out 162 games and have that level of consistency all the way through. And I don't know. I just, if I'm the organization, as much as I love the guy and as much as I enjoy him at his best, I don't know if you, if he's what, at what, at some point, like, okay, we're done with the challenging, right? Like we just can't keep playing the same game over and over. Yeah, that might be it. I think, Probably, you know, just another way of saying it is that he, he'd been with Milwaukee parts of five seasons with this team and he, he was what he was. You know, you've got a you've got enough of da- you got enough data there to tell you what he is. And, yeah, he's going to go through hot streaks. And maybe that maybe that correlates with bringing in other guys to challenge him for that playing time. But I, I thought last year was was a pretty good year for him. And even even then, he only wrote, you know, he's only got a 317 on base percentage. He's a 734 OPS guy, which is fine. You can get by with that if you've got other guys hitting. The Brewers didn't in 2020. But, I mean, I think that's about as good as Orlando RC is going to get you. And he's, he's going to be 28 years old or, no, 27 years old, I believe. So, uh, you know, he's not he's, – he's not – on his way out by any means, but you're probably seeing what you're going to get with that guy. And, and it could, it could backfire. It might, but it probably won't. So I think the Brewers just, I would, if I had to guess, probably just got to a point where it was like, okay, we've got, we've got every people on the roster who can do what he does. We know what he is. It's probably time to, uh, to, you know, see if we can maybe get, get some pitching for him, some de- pitching depth in this case. And, uh, and just move forward with, with the younger Louis Sirius and give him, give him every opportunity at shortstop. Last thing for you before I let you go, uh, what it, with the injury right now to, to Colton Wong, do you think it's more valuable to have maybe a better lineup on the on the field, which pushes Keston here at a second, 
or is it better to put him out at first base as often as possible just so he can continue to progress at that position? I think that's a really good question. I don't know how the Brewers play that. I know that I'm sure if they had their druthers, they'd keep him at first base. They can go without you know, without him at second base. There are people who can play that spot, Daniel Robertson, Chase Peterson. But yeah, you're not you know, necessarily going to get all that all world Colton Wong defense from anybody on the roster. So do you, do you maybe just punt on that and say, you know what, forget it. Let's just put, you know, put Keston Hira there and have Vogelbach play first base or somebody else who, who can maybe get, you know, maybe some power. Although again, your options at first base are pretty limited too. Like Vogelbach is probably not a full-time starter at this point in his career. This would be a fill-in situation, but he's, he's, he's just not that guy. And, and, you know, Daniel Robertson maybe is the other option or Billy McKinney, I guess. Like it's not like you've got a ton of depth at first base on the big league roster, uh, guys that are just going to rake, uh, where, where putting Kesson here over at second dramatically improves your offense. So, uh, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I've talked myself into the idea that they'll probably lean on, they would err on putting him, keeping him at first base, keeping keep getting him the reps he needs the reps he just he's uncomfortable on defense that's that's always been part of his story he just has not had the opportunities in the minors and in you know when he was hurt and he in the big leagues yet so they need they need those reps from him and if he's going to be a first baseman long term it might as well come at first base and you kind of just have to hope Wong's injury is a is a short-term thing I think at this point all right, Jr. You are the trending sports reporter for the uh, Journal Sentinel. I know you've got the uh, the Journal Sentinel Brewers podcast. You're gonna be re- we're recording on Sunday night. You've got another podcast to record this evening. Uh, where can folks find uh, all the Brewers content uh, that you're pumping out? Yeah, absolutely. At jsonline.com. Lots of stuff from my colleagues, Tom Hodricourt and Todd Rosiak. Obviously, they're covering the team all year long. They've been, uh, Tom was at the games in St. Louis. So, uh, not, uh, not full fledged traveling schedule yet for, for most journalists, but we are getting as many games as we can get to. Uh, so you'll want to follow those guys' podcast posts there. Uh, certainly you can find, uh, find links on, on my Twitter account, which you mentioned at the outset. That's at jr radcliffe, j r r a d c l i f f e. But uh, the easiest way is just to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, the usual places where you get your podcasts. We show up there every week, hopefully Monday morning as well. We'll be uh, we'll be dropping a new episode with Todd Rosiak and uh, review this review this very interesting week. A lot happened, you know. Orlando Arcia yeah. trade is at the beginning, and it's got a couple injuries to talk about. Got uh, this this amazing pitching performance. So there's there's a lot to discuss. So uh, hopefully Monday morning we'll be there, and uh, you know this will will join you in cyberspace. Posting on Monday morning. And of course, people should uh, be subscribed to the Journal Sentinel, whether it's actually getting a paper copy, which I am one of those people. I get the Wednesday and Sunday edition. I still yes. get a paper copy. Uh, but for other people who don't want the paper copy, that's fine. The uh, digital only subscription is available. Yes, we love our, our print subscribers. They're huge for us. Uh, but if you're only a digital guy, I'm a digital guy. Uh, the best place to check out what deals we have, and there are always deals, would be jsonline.com slash deal. I mean, frequently you'll see $1 for six months or something like that. I mean, it's just really, really a lot of great introductory offers. So check that out. Go back to that site every every so often. You're going to find some pretty cool stuff there. And, uh, and get a subscription. Help us out. Lots of baseball to follow over the next six months. It's the Sunday coupons. That's why we get the print edition. Yeah, buddy. Love the coupons. Love them. Not All really. Right, I, don't, I don't like coupons. The people in front of me in line at the grocery store, it drives me nuts. But I respect that they have a thing. And they help newspapers. So what, who am I to complain? There you go. <laughs> Thanks, JR. Talk to you later, man.
That's J.R. Radcliffe joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that is just about going to do it for uh, this edition of the podcast. Thanks going out to uh, J.R. for joining us. Thank you to you for being uh, tuned in. Here's what's on tap this upcoming week. Uh, The Brewers are going to have a three-game series against the Cubs. They're opening up a six-game homestand. Monday, Tuesday are uh, 6.41st pitches. And then Wednesday will be a 12.41st pitch. Thursday is an off day. And then they will welcome in the Pittsburgh Pirates for a three-game series coming up on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Just a reminder, tailgating once again is allowed. If you are going to be at the game, uh, you can uh, you can tailgate. There are restrictions on the tailgating. Uh, you have to. The people who are in your seating pod are the people that can be at your tailgate, and you can't roam from one tailgate to another. If you don't have tickets, you're not supposed to come in and tailgate. But as we hope to get back to some level of normalcy. That's another step forward. The tailgating uh, is back at American Family Field. So happy to be able to say that. All right, again, thanks to uh, J.R. Radcliffe for joining us. Thank you to you for being tuned in. And we look forward to uh, talking to you again soon for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.